0: Well, uh, last week I was reading in the paper, uh, the newspaper, that uh, Pol Pot was arrested. Then I read, I think Friday, that he wasn't arrested. Then I read this morning, he was arrested. I don't know how many of you remember Pol Pot. He was the uh, leader of the Khmer Rouge, the uh, communist dictator of Cambodia. He was a man who ruled by fear. He was a a ruthless tyrant, a, a, a monster. He uh, killed over two million of his own subjects trying to establish control over his country. I mean, two million people. Uh, I don't know if you remember the movie The Killing Fields about 12 years ago. Uh, That was about his reign of terror. You see, the things that he was trying to accomplish by fear didn't really work. He he did cower the people. They were afraid of him. They should have been afraid of him. He was a monster. But he never won their hearts. Their hearts were full of hatred, resentment. They just went underground with their resistance and their rebellion. They just tried to stay off of his radar screen while they continued to do what uh, they wanted to do, to oppose him, try to undermine him, trying to destroy his control. See, Fear is no way to rule a country. It's also no way to run a family. Sadly, a lot of parents try to control their families by fear. Fathers who who try to use intimidation to control their their wives and their children. Mothers even who who try to control their children by cowering them, even abusing them at times. I know that some here... I've come from families in which this was more or less the case, so I want to be very careful. But fear is a horrible thing. It's a terrible thing. It's a dehumanizing, a degrading thing. It's something that, that wounds and damages people. That leads to a problem for us. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Peter 1, 17. If you don't have a Bible, I'll be reading each of the verses before we talk about them. Let me read 1 Peter one seventeen. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in fear. Now, the New International tries to soften it a little bit by calling it reverent fear, but it is fear. Now, this verse seems to confirm our worst fears about God. He is a stern, merciless judge who keeps meticulous records of all of our sins and failures, just waiting for the chance to crush us. In order to keep us under control, he wants us to live in in constant fear of his impartial judgment, his impartial justice. Uh, Fear of punishment, guilt, is used to keep us in line. Now this understanding of uh, this verse misses Peter's whole line of argument. I mean, if this verse was just standing by itself, that might be possible. But that's not where Peter goes with this. If that's what Peter wanted us to understand, he'd follow this verse up by telling us uh, about the horrible judgment that, that, that stands in front of us. He would point out that God throws in accidents and disease and disaster whenever we step across the line. That hell awaits us if we don't tow the line. That's not at all where Peter goes with this. Listen to the whole paragraph. 1 Peter one seventeen through 17-21 Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a Lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, But he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. See, where Peter goes from there, where Peter went with this, is to remind us about how much God loves us. He tells us that that God redeemed us, he freed us. Using the, 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 the most precious thing that He had, the lifeblood of His Son, Jesus. It tells us that God loved us like this. God's love was that strong for us, even before He created us. God has always loved us, even before He created the world. It tells us that what awaits us is not punishment, but resurrection and glory, so that we can put our hope in Him see, Peter wants to to, to bowl us over with God's great eternal love. For us to see how great it is. How much he loves us. It's a love that holds nothing back. Nothing it wouldn't give. Now, I love you guys. I really do. But would I give one of my daughters for you? I'm sorry. I don't love you that much. God does. God loves you that much. He and His Son, Jesus, both love you that intensely. That the Son was delighted because He knew how much His Father loved you. He was delighted to give His life for you. God loves you that much. He has always loved you. He will always love you as you see that love expressed, demonstrated in Jesus, you can put your hope and your trust in God. That's His desire. That's His heart. So now what about this fear stuff? Where does that come in? As we've already seen, that, that fear doesn't work in ruling a country, in, in controlling people. It doesn't work. It's a bad way to try to control Because fear does not breed hope and trust. Fear breeds resistance and rebellion, hatred, resentment, sedition. But God's love, God's, excuse me, fear of God breeds freedom, breeds hope, breeds trust. So obviously, what Peter's talking about here is... It is not the kind of fear that I've been talking about. Peter's talking about a fear that flows out of, a, uh, out of a deep understanding of God's love, a trust in God's love. It's not a fear of punishment. The Bible is very clear on this point. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but mature love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not mature in love. See, here John's saying that as we grow up, in God 's love, as we understand it more and more and see it more and more clearly as we mature in it our fear disappears it's gone we don't have to be afraid of him he loves us as we we grow in our understanding of his love we don't fear punishment that he'll reject us that he'll condemn us no a mature love. Puts those fears completely to rest. Paul says in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. See, Paul says the, the Holy Spirit in us frees us from looking at God as some scary, mean monster. Enables us To to, to get out of that view that God is the, the pole pot of the universe. And to see Him as Abba. That's the Hebrew word for daddy. See, we are to see Him as a loving father. In fact, that's what Peter himself started with. Since you call on a father, since God is your father, fear Him. See, the fear we're talking about is not the fear of some evil tyrant. It's the fear of a loving daddy. Now, what is this fear? As I was working on this uh, sermon, I went upstairs and asked my daughters, Are you afraid of me? You know what they said? They didn't say anything. They just laughed. (laughs) And one of them came up and rubbed my cheeks (laughs) to show how much she was afraid of me. But you know what they fear me they do it 's not that, that they get all tense when I walk into the room i don 't my presence doesn 't intimidate them a bit. In fact, when I walk in the room, they expect to be hugged. But when I walk in the room and they 're fighting and I say, "Stop," they stop now if Becky wasn 't here i 'd say they stop right away but <laughs> but often they do sometimes they do. <laughs> But eventually they stop. Why? Because, first of all, they know it's right. They know what they're doing is wrong. But it's also because they know I will not allow that kind of behavior. And that I I will provide consequences for that kind of behavior. And and they fear the consequences. They fear my discipline. Not that I'm going to go ballistic on them and, and harm them or scream at them. But, that, but out of my love, out of my desire to see them mature and relate in a healthy way that honors God, out of my desire to see them learn how to resolve conflict and live life successfully, I am going to provide consequences to their behavior that are unpleasant. And as they continue to grow, and they're in their teenage years now, I still want them to fear me, I want them to give weight to what I say. I want them to give more weight to what I say than they do to their own feelings. I want them to give more weight to what I say than they do to what their friends around them might say because I want to protect them from choices that will really damage them in their future. And they know that. They know it's coming out of my love. I want them to fear me not as a despotic tyrant, who wants to impose his selfish will on them just for my own selfish reasons. But I want them to fear me as a father who loves them. See, again, the fear of a tyrant goes underground. It it, it doesn't really change a person's heart. It doesn't really ultimately change their behavior. It just causes them to hide it and, and, and to do it in a subversive way. That's all that that kind of fear does. But the fear that comes out of a Deep understanding that you're love, that this person is acting out of love, and in your best, that's the fear that really shapes behavior for the long haul. See, that's the kind of fear our God wants from us. He doesn't want a fear that makes us avoid Him, run away from Him, hide from Him, kind of secretly try to do our own thing and hope He doesn't slap us too hard. That's not what He's after. He wants us to know His love, the love of a Heavenly Father on whose lap we can climb, and whose breast we can cry. He'll wrap His arms around us and love us. But He also, but He still wants us to know fear, fear of Him, a fear that really shapes our behavior, fear that comes out of a profound understanding of His love, a fear that comes out of trust but one that really does move us to obedience. Obedience is a very important word here. Now listen to our Father's love in Deuteronomy 5, 29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. You hear his heart. He says, oh, that they would fear me. His heart is yearning. It's breaking that, that that we would fear Him and that we would obey Him out of that fear. Why? Not because He wants to control us in some selfish, perverse way. Why? Because He wants it to go well with us and with our children forever. That's His heart. His commands, His instructions, His directions come out of His love. Flow out of that He wants us to give weight to what He says. More weight than to what our own logic says, our own feelings say. More weight than to what people around us are saying and doing. Because without that weight, without that fear, we will end up doing things and making choices. We will adopt attitudes and ways of living that will genuinely destroy us. And it's the fear of Him that enables us. To Go ahead and do what He says. In spite of, of our feelings, in spite of our thoughts, in spite of what others are saying, we must fear Him more than anything else so that we obey Him and experience the life that He has to offer. And this is serious stuff. Peter tells us that our Father judges Impartially, What he's saying there is that God does not suspend the moral laws of the universe for us. When we act in certain ways, we have certain consequences. When we choose to disobey, when we choose to act sinfully, we pay a price in our life. The wages of sin is death. And we experience some of that death. Now, ultimately... Jesus has paid the price for sin. We don't experience ultimate death. We've been cut off again from God. But we still have effect in our life. When when I harbor bitterness, anger towards someone in my life, I become emotionally and spiritually gutted. My peace disappears like it does for anyone else when we start seeking fulfillment in material things, our lives grow empty and insecure just like it does for anyone else. When we uh, get involved in sexual lust, our relationships deteriorate, our personalities get addicted just like everyone else's. There are consequences. Remember a conversation a while back with a man... Said, I know my relationship with this other woman is wrong, but God will forgive me. And I said, What are you thinking? Well, first of all, there's no fear of God in this man, and it destroyed him. What was he thinking? Was he thinking that God would suspend the reality that that a relationship based on sin, built on sin, would not end in heartache and pain and destruction? It's true. If he really was a believer, God would forgive him. But where's the fear? People, God will forgive you if you reach into your pocket, pull out a pin and jam it into your eye. But what are you thinking? It will hurt. And it'll bleed all over your shirt. It'll ruin your nice dress. And you'll go blind. Probably lose the use of that eye for the rest of your life. Are you thinking somehow that God's going to suspend the laws of nature and it's not going to hurt? That it's not going to do damage? People fear the reality of what you do. Now, uh, usually, not always, but usually the things that we are tempted to get involved in are a little less obvious than jamming a pin in your eye. Sometimes I'm amazed because it's not a whole lot less obvious And we fall into it anyway. But usually the consequences aren't so immediate. They're more subtle and they kind of are manifest over a period of time. And so it's not so clear to us. But still, they're there. And God has told us about it. God tells us to honor God with the first fruits of our labor. But if I withhold from God, if I hold back from God... From my earnings i don 't immediately go bankrupt. In fact, I may flourish financially. I may be able to buy all the toys I want, but the subtle death of losing the joy in god 's gifts to me in my possessions the the the, the, the 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 sense of dissatisfaction that sets in the enslavement to to material things that, that begins to grow is so subtle. It's so imperceptible that that we may not even be aware of it until one morning we just wake up and wonder how it all got so empty. We're left confused and lost by it. But we don't have to be. God told us. We just didn't believe Him. We say, but I didn't understand. It didn't seem logical to me that it would work this way. I was afraid to trust God. Well, here is a critically important reality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German Christian in the 1930s. Bonhoeffer said, "We do not understand in order to obey. We obey in order to understand." me say that again. We do not understand in order to obey. We obey in order to understand. In other words, it's not that we wait until we understand, then we obey. Fact is if we wait until we understand, we don't obey. And as a result we never understand. But when we obey, we understand. You see, God if all we, we obey is what makes sense to us what we understand completely. There's no fear of God there. There's no fear of the Lord there. Only a trust in our own selves, and our own minds. But our God calls us to obey even when we don't completely understand. He calls us to, to obey even when it doesn't all make sense. And then when we obey, we begin to understand. When we choose to do what God said, in spite of our feelings, in spite of our lesser fears, as great as they may be. When we choose to do what God said because He said it, suddenly we understand. We say, oh, that's why He said to do it this way. It makes sense. I'm beginning to see it now. He's wise. He's good. He's right. But when we refuse to obey, when we choose to fear other things more than we fear Him, we never understand. In fact, we just grow more cynical. We say, oh, it wouldn't have worked anyway. And we lose the opportunity to see His wisdom at work in our lives and marvel. We lose the opportunity to see His love applied to our lives and worship Him. See, it's as we obey Him, often with fear and trembling, we come to understand how wise, how good He is. It's a healthy fear of Him that enables us to take that step of trusting obedience and grow. Now quickly, before uh, I move on to what Peter says next, let me say one more thing about our failure to obey. Even though our Heavenly Father doesn't suspend all of the consequences of our sinful choices. There is still something we need to understand about what happens when we disobey. First of all, God doesn't stop loving us. When one of my daughters disobeys, I don't stop loving her a bit. Now, neither of us may enjoy my love for a period of time. It's not fun for either of us. In fact, out of my love, I may have to oppose her I, I may have to love her enough to stand firm for what's right and what's true. I have to love her enough to pursue her and maybe keep raising the stakes to get her to turn, but I do it out of my love even my opposition is out of love because I want the enjoyment of a clear and restored relationship with her. I want the freedom to, 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 to give to her in a way that's healthy and, and at a time when it's healthy and, and, and constructive rather than confusing and destructive to her. I want her to experience the release and the freedom uh, that that, that she will experience as she turns from what's wrong to what's right. And if I, who am selfish and sinful, love my daughter like that, how much more does our God, who is love, long to give us good things, Long to to enjoy that restored relationship with us. Long for us to to experience the freedom of living in the light and doing what's right. That's his heart. That's his hunger. That's his desire. He does not want to oppose us. But he will if he must. His love is tough. Now the fact is we all sin. At times each one of us fears something else more than we fear God. God. Each one of us choose, chooses to obey or disobey. Excuse me. But the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus died on the cross to purchase that forgiveness. It's his desire for us to experience it. He's not begrudgingly giving it to us because he has to. That's what he, he came for. He wants to give it. He wants us to experience the, the cleansing of His blood, to be forgiven, to be delighted in our relationship with Him. In Christ, there is no condemnation. He never rejects us. He doesn't push us away. Immediately, at any time, we can turn to the Father and be completely restored to that loving relationship because of what Jesus did. And that is the thing to know about disobedience and sin it is forgiven, turned back now again doesn't mean the consequences disappear, there may be very profound effect in our lives but again, we can crawl up into the laps of our heavenly father and cry we can bring the pain and the loss that we have caused by our own sin and he's not going to push us off he'll hurt with us He'll wrap his arms around us and love us. He is that forgiving. Then, he'll show us where to go from there. He'll start teaching us, explaining it to us, so we see what happened and why it happened. He'll grow our understanding. He, he will then show us where to go from here to stop the destruction, to stop the damage that we've caused, to turn it around so that he and his power, and his wisdom and his grace can make it something good. As we submit again to Him. As we obey Him from there. Now let's look at the uh, things that Peter says next. Verse 22 through 25. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now there's just three things I want to point out in in what Peter says here. These all go along with what we've been talking about. First, is that Peter says that we have purified ourselves by obeying the truth. The word there for purified means to to wash clean, to clean up, to clean out. You see, each one of us have ways of living that are deeply ingrained into us. Ways of responding to life based on our own feelings and our own thoughts and, and what other people have taught us. That's how we live. It's what Peter, back up in verse 18, referred to as the futile way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. It's futile. That means it doesn't really work. But it's all we've got. So it's how we've lived. Peter said, we have been redeemed from that. We've been given a new way to live. Walking with God. Obeying him, learning from Him. It's a way of living that, that, that comes from understanding. And you see, as we obey, we are being cleaned up. Those The old patterns of living that came from our old way of living, the old habits, the old confusions that we got, from living what the, what the Bible calls living in the flesh with just our human resources. You see, as we've lived that way, we were left with confusion. We were left with, with wounds. We were left with patterns and habits in our life that were destroying us, destroying our relationships. But as we obey, those things are being cleaned up. Those patterns are being broken. As we obey, we're building a foundation of understanding and of experience with God and, and of confidence, and of health, that further enables us to obey. See, it's a process in which, which our, our, our thinking and our behavior is being purified, being cleaned up, being cleaned out. As we obey, and realize it is obedience, but as we obey, Sometimes with fear and trembling, we are being purified. Now, the second point I want to make in what Peter says here is that love is the goal. David uh, said last week in his teaching that holiness is beauty. I love that description. Uh, that, that becoming holy like God is holy means becoming beautiful like God is beautiful. Winsome like He is winsome. Well, that beauty we're talking about is the beauty of love. See, God is love and His life in us is a life of love. As we are being cleaned up, purified through obedience, we're being freed up to love. The the garbage, the junk that's being cleaned out of us, the Is the stuff that gets in the way that that interferes with our ability to love? That's what's being cleaned out of us. See, that's what we were made for—to be in love with God and to love other people. That's what's good and right and healthy. That's the summation of all of the commands of God: Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. See, that's the law and the prophets in a nutshell. As we love God and the obedience that comes out of that love, it'll show itself by the way we love others. Again, the Bible says that our love for God, whom we cannot see, is made visible by our love for others who we can see. And Jesus himself said that his command was that we love each other, even as he has loved us. So that's the goal. That's where it's going. That's where obedience is leading. So Peter says is we're being cleaned up and freed up to love. And if that's true, then get into it. Throw yourself into it. Make love your aim. Make love your goal. Express it. Develop it. Get into it. And as we really bore down in our lives on loving as as Peter says, loving each other deeply from the heart. We'll discover more junk that's getting in the way, that's keeping us from being able to love like that. And we'll be forced back to, to that trusting obedience so that we can have that junk cleaned out as well. We can be freed up. We can learn better how to love all the more. It just keeps growing and growing. And the final thing, Third thing, final thing in what Peter says here that I wanted to point out is that this love is based on God's Word, the Bible. Now, Peter says that we were reborn not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, what is that imperishable seed? It's the life of Jesus. The seed in us is His life in us. That's what transforms us. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us holy. That's what will make us beautiful. His life in us. Now, how did we come by that life? Where did we receive it? Where did we get it? By God's Word. We heard in the Word of God, maybe through someone's lips, maybe through the Bible directly, but we heard from the Word of God that God loves us and that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us, to free us. And if we will just believe Him, put our trust in Him, we will be born again. We will receive His life in us. That imperishable seed that gives us eternal life. So, you see, we receive that life in us through God's Word, by believing it. But not only are we reborn by God's Word, that life in us now is nourished by God's Word. It's fed by God's Word. The scriptures are our spiritual food, as Peter goes on to tell us. It feeds, it nourishes, it strengthens His life in us. See, we still live in a world filled with humans who live in the flesh. They are choosing, uh, pursuing the goals that seem good to them. Not out of bad hearts, but out of a desire to do what's right and good. But their goals are wrong. They, they pursue wealth and influence and power, thinking that they will do good with it. When when it's all said and done, they didn't. They, 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 they pursue escape and ease. People want to live forever physically. So they try to stay healthy and young, but they can't. So they build monuments to themselves, hoping that their glory will last, but it won't. Woody Allen was once asked if he wanted to live forever in the hearts of his fans. And he said, no, I want to live forever in my apartment. But it doesn't last. It doesn't work. Like Peter said, all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See, when we build on the word of God, we build for eternity. We build relationships. We build character that lasts forever. We, 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 we pursue things that really matter in life, that satisfy. We live a life worth living, a life of meaning, a life of purpose. The world hungers, it's it's desperate for these things, but they don't know where to find them. They're blind to where these things can be found. These things can be found in God's Word because God's Word leads us to God who gives us life. And God's Word nourishes the things that last. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. Like David said last week, we have the best of both worlds. We have the sure hope of heaven. And we have the freedom and beauty of holiness now. Well, that holiness comes from obedience obedience. Based on trust. Manifest in love. And fed by God's Word. That's the treasure that that Christ has given us. So let me urge each of you to trust your Heavenly Father enough to obey Him. Fear Him and Him alone. Not as some selfish tyrant, but as a loving Father who has given everything for you and who wants you to experience life. He has redeemed you with the precious blood of His Son so that you can put your faith, your hope in Him. Having cleansed through your obedience, get into loving each other. Throw yourself into it. Make it the focus, the center, of your lives, of your thoughts, of uh, uh, of your energies and your time. And nourish that loving life in you by feeding it from God's Word. Spending time in the Word alone, reading it. Spending time with others, studying it. Gaining your goals in life. Gaining the principles you live by from the Word of God. Well, this morning we're going to... Uh, celebrate communion. You saw all these guys getting up, wondered if everybody was getting offended and leaving in the middle of my sermon, but they were just getting ready to serve communion. And as we celebrate communion this morning, let me ask you all to take these things we've talked about very seriously, to respond honestly. You have been redeemed from the futile way of life handed down by your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's what communion celebrates, that Christ shed His blood for us. He gave His life for us so that we might enjoy His life in us, a life of trusting obedience. Jesus always trusted and obeyed the Father. That's the life He wants for us because it's a life of joy. So let me ask, as the bread is being passed out, Dee's going to uh, uh, sing for us. As she's singing, let your mind move to this after the song, whatever time we have. Let me ask you to present yourself to God and ask Him what He wants you to obey. Maybe it's very basic. Maybe you've never given your life to Him. If that's the case, come to Him. Ask Him to forgive your sins, your life of of not listening to Him, ignoring Him rather than fearing Him. Tell Him you want His life and that you want to obey Him from here on out. But for those of you who have already done that, maybe it's uh, something else. Maybe it's letting go of some bitterness, some resentment in your heart toward a parent or a spouse or an ex-spouse or someone else who has genuinely wronged you. Maybe it's turning away from some secret practice that has you in its grip and, and is interfering with your ability to love the people God has put around you. Well, You may need some help. Come to God. Ask Him for that help and commit yourself right then to tell someone else who can help as well. Maybe it's looking at your use of your time and energy. How, how little of it is used in loving others and God's strength. How much of it is focused on pursuing wealth or, or, or influence or recreation. Maybe it's your neglect of His Word. Letting your spiritual life shrivel up and die and just carelessly accepting that. Well, turn to Him. Confess how lightly you've taken payment of Christ's blood. Ask Him what He would have you to do from here. Maybe it's uh, not honoring God with your money. Ask Him what He wants you to do. Maybe it's just facing some sin that you've refused to call sin in your past. I don't know what it is. Whatever God speaks, going into it, make the commitment that you will hear. He'll speak. And make the commitment that you will fear. By doing whatever he asks. Again, his instructions, his commands, what he asks comes out of his love. Not to destroy us, not to confine us. But that we might experience life and freedom and joy. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that new covenant. That covenant that says that you will love us. That you will pour your spirit into us, that you will empower us, that it is not what we do, but what you have done and what you continue to do, that you will use us for your glory. Lord, we thank you that that is your plan, your desire. We thank you for the joy and the freedom that we experience when we turn from our resistance, the, 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 the clean feeling we get the the new excitement in life when we stop fighting and start obeying. Lord, uh, fill us with that joy. Open our eyes this week to, to what you're calling us to do and give us the courage to overcome our lesser fears out of our fear for you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Fill us with a bold confidence that comes from, from you. An excitement that we can live in the newness of life. And, uh, give us that, uh, that excitement. We pray this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.